0: all right welcome back to the sports media watch podcast this is john lewis joined by drew Lerner, who's back after a couple of weeks we're going to talk about everything going on in the sports media industry this week but first don't forget to subscribe to the smw podcast feed on apple podcasts spotify google podcasts and more wherever you get your podcasts all right let's go ahead and start with the nba and diamond sports this deal broke yesterday we're taping tuesday evening the nba has reached an agreement with diamond sports where Diamond will continue to air games from every NBA team it has rights to, 15 in total, through the end of the 2023-24 season. And then after that point, all of those rights will revert back to the NBA. So the NBA has, in this deal, achieved both the stability for this season, ensuring there won't be any surprises where Diamond relinquishes rights at any point, and then flexibility for next season and beyond. Because now, NBA teams can decide for themselves whether they want to continue on with Diamond Sports. Remember, they can still sign with the Diamond Sports RSN after this is over. Some teams even signed agreements with Diamond within the last year or so, even after the bankruptcy. So there's going to be interest there. This is not going to be the end of Diamond Sports necessarily. But teams that don't necessarily want to continue on with this bankrupt company can decide to do something along the lines of what the Suns did what the Jazz did, the Golden Knights in hockey, and moved to a model of over-the-air and directed subscriber. Of course, the real question is, does that model work financially? That's kind of been one of the things that only a few people have really been talking about, uh, among them Patrick Craigs, who was part of the Fox Sports Networks for many years. Are these teams actually making any money from these new deals, even with the greater exposure? So this comes to the real debate that we've had in sports TV for many years. What matters more, revenue or reach? For years, every league other than the NFL took revenue. The NFL can do both because the NFL, their audiences are so big that they don't have to sacrifice to reach for the revenue. But the NBA had to do it in 2002. Baseball had to do it a few years later. Even college football had to do it uh, in 2008, going with uh, ESPN for the big games. Uh, in the big, uh, in the Bowl championship series. And now we're at a point where that sacrificing of revenue, or excuse me, that sacrificing of reach for revenue has finally gotten to a point where it's danger time for the leagues, at least on a local level. And so the real question that we've had over the past year or so is does the RSN model still provide enough revenue to make all of the other things worth it, to make antagonizing your audience worth it? to make not having the kind of audiences that you'd like to have worth it? Uh, And uh, I still think that's an open question because the reality of the matter is there's probably still more money in Diamond than there is in these ridiculous sub-channels because we talk about over the year. Okay, over the year, we're not talking ABC, CBS, NBC, or Fox. We're talking antenna TV. We're talking those channels. If you still have an antenna, that don't even necessarily come in the cleanest, right? I mean, so it's definitely a debate and something that'll be very interesting to watch. And, of course, the other aspects here might not necessarily be a hybrid of direct-to-subscriber and broadcast television. It might be something entirely different because we know that the NBA is interested in packaging those rights as part of their new media rights negotiations. Can the NBA realistically sell Amazon on, say, local rights to 15 teams None of which are New York, Philadelphia, Los Angeles. Can, can can the NBA really sell Amazon on that? This is something that Robert Seidman has talked about as well on, on social media. The fact that these Diamond RSNs, they don't have the best NBA teams, really. I think their top market team is the Clippers who, you know, yeah, they play in LA, but they're not really in LA. You know what I mean? So for the NBA, it's going to be very interesting. It, they have the flexibility they want. They also, as part of this deal, will have the right to put 10 games for each of these diamond teams this season on broadcast TV. So that'll be a real trial balloon as well. To see what kind of interest there is from the local affiliates in these markets, to see what kind of money you might get paid. The NBA will have a lot of answers, or excuse me, have a lot of questions answered about this by the end of this season. And in exchange, Diamond gets a 16% reduction in rights fees, which, you know, I mean, that's not too bad, I guess, but uh Especially for a bankrupt company, the less you have to pay, the better. Uh, so I'm going to bring in Drew and uh, let's talk about this topic: RSN's Diamond Sports in the NBA.
1: Yeah, a lot to kind of digest there. Um, but what I think is at the crux of this, and you know, the reason the NBA agreed to this deal in the first place is that all these deals are going to come to term at the end of next season, which gives them the potential to bundle these 15 teams together and perhaps you know, woo and amazon or an apple or one one of those other major digital players to to purchase a package. But I'm also reading in all this coverage that the teams as you mentioned could go out on their own, perhaps sign a new deal with diamond, perhaps find a local over-the-air channel willing to purchase their rights. So what I kind of want to clarify for our listeners here is at the end of the day, who Who's the decision maker here? Is it the franchises that ultimately get to decide what they do with their own team's rights, or is it the NBA that's going to kind of uh, coerce the franchises into doing what they want to do if they've had an Amazon or an Apple interested in a package?
0: That's an excellent question. The reality is I don't really think we have a lot of clarity because, for example, Let's not even talk about Diamond here, because we know the most influential NBA teams are not with Diamond Sports to begin with. Let's say the NBA wants to package all of its RSNs with its uh, national rights. Are they going to get genie Bus to go for that over at Spectrum Sports? What about James Dolan, who owns the Knicks and MSG Network? I mean, are they going to be able to get James Dolan to go along with that? There are teams that have influence in the league that might not necessarily be cool with this. Is this something where the NBA would be able to assume control of of these local rights with a simple board of governors vote, where Dolan might be against it, but everybody rules, everybody else rules against him? I mean, is is that how it's going to be? Because if there's any choice in the matter, if if the team owners can decide for themselves we're not going to be a part of this, that weakens the NBA's ability to sell these rights. Uh, you know, we, it's been a long time since I've seen local numbers for NBA teams. Uh, Local numbers for any teams, honestly. I don't know who's number one. I know the Warriors for a long time, uh, obviously, with all the success that they had, we're we're getting really, really big numbers. Um, Warriors are on NBC Sports Bay Area. Do we think the Warriors are going to be saying, hey, let's just package all our rights together with like the Oklahoma City Thunder? Like, and how does it work financially? Because some local rights are more valuable than others. And if I'm the Warriors or I'm the Lakers or the Knicks, I'm going to expect a bigger cut of whatever revenue comes out of those local rights being a part of the broader TV deal. So I think there's been a lot of reporting on this topic that does not necessarily indicate the complexity of it uh, for the NBA. And I I actually think there's a non-zero chance that a lot of these teams stay with Diamond because the money is going to be better. The exposure is not going to be good. But if you're on Antenna TV, well, Antenna TV, who has an antenna? It's not everybody. Now you say, well, Antenna TV and also direct-to-subscriber, that'll cover it. Well, you know, if these kids out there, you know, uh, Gen Z and below, if they were out there buying subscriptions in the first place, we wouldn't be in all this trouble. They're not buying anything. They're just pirating it. So um, I, I don't know... How this is going to work, and I think staying with the status quo is more of a possibility than people think
1: i th- I think you're exactly right, John. Um, you know you look at this entire bankruptcy um, procedure here, and the entire point is so diamond can eventually reach profitability again, right? If they wanted to shutter their entire operation, they could right um, but the whole point of all these court filings and you know deals with the NBA and the NHL and potentially the MLB down the line is so that they can get to a spot where they can pick and choose which teams they deem profitable, resign them and you know, operate in those markets. So I think that is a, that is a very likely outcome to all this. But going back to um, the NBA and the league here, as we mentioned you know one of their major incentives here was to have all 15 of those teams as a bit of a possible package that they could sell to a digital player right with each successive team that decides hey you know we can get a few few more million here from diamond or a few more million here from our local abc or cbs affiliate or what have you the value of having 15 teams versus You know 10 or 11 teams is substantial 15 teams is half the league that's pretty attractive Um, you know when you're down to 10 teams and those 10 teams are Oklahoma City and Memphis you know it's not necessarily the uh, biggest draw and I I don't think the NBA even if they were to bundle 10 teams rights together uh, would really make up for the the rights that you would get from an RSN
0: yeah yeah, and the reality is the league doesn't have as much leverage as I think people imagine. Because the leverage is all based on the idea that these deals with over-the-year affiliates are better from a business perspective than the RSN deals. But they're not. You're getting less money. Their ratings will go up, but you're not going to be able to make enough from ad sales to to make up for the amount of money that you know you're sacrificing. So I think especially for those teams that Diamond doesn't want, right? Diamond's trying to get out from under some of these deals, right? It's not the teams that want to get out. In some cases, it's Diamond that wants to get to, that that wants to get out. So once you get to those teams, Amazon's not going to be clamoring for them, as you said. Um there's not going to be some kind of, hey, you know, I'm I'm Jeff Bezos and I love the New Orleans Pelicans. You know, that's not gonna happen. So I don't know. I I, I think very much as fans there's a kind of an idea that whatever is best for the fan is best financially but that's often not true that's why the industry is so anti-fan in so many ways the money is in a lot of things that don't benefit the fan the money's in blackouts to protect those rsn contracts yeah
1: you know you think about it and it, it seems very counterintuitive that You know, there's a reach versus revenue trade off, right? Where if you limit your reach, you're actually going to get paid more than if you expand your reach, right? That makes no sense, but that's how the business has operated based on this exclusivity model that is a part of this, you know, a a part of the cable bundle, right? John, I do want to get to another aspect of this reporting, which is that there will be a deal in the coming weeks, reportedly with the NHL that will look similar to this NBA de- deal. The NHL currently has 11 franchises tied to the Bally Sports RSNs. Major League Baseball, on the other hand, is a huge question mark. Um, obviously, Diamond Sports had a bit of a contentious relationship with the MLB last season when they ceased rights payments for the Padres and the Diamondbacks. Uh, those rights reverted back to the league. Middle of the season, MLB had to scramble. They were prepared, but they had to scramble to distribute those games to the fans in the local markets. So that relationship's a bit fraught now. Um, where do you see this going with Major League Baseball?
0: Well, baseball has more skin in the game than anybody because they make more of their revenue from local rights than other teams or other leagues do. And their ratings are bigger locally. It's a very interesting thing because for baseball, we talk about reach versus revenue. Well, baseball's reach and revenue are higher than the other leagues when we talk about the local rights. So, you know, obviously, I think baseball could probably get more on the open market than the NBA could in in some of these markets. I mean, certainly based on their local numbers, but they also have more on the line because the NBA can't afford... The haircut of being on local TV, uh, local over-the-air TV that that does not pay the way that an RSN does. The NBA can afford, you know, okay, KJZZ is paying X amount less than AT&T Sportsnet was, but we also have this enormous, you know, national media rights deal to make up for it. Baseball does not, you know, baseball is getting, you know, kind of a pittance honestly nationally. One point six or seven billion across all of its national partners that is not enough to sustain a thirty team league in twenty twenty three uh, so there's a lot more at stake for baseball, and especially since they're not going to just abandon the 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 supremacy of local rights. they're not going to just suddenly decide, okay, we're a national league now, and we're going to give all these exclusives to all of our networks, and you know they're not going to do that so it behooves baseball to either ensure that the RSN model remains alive or to find something better. I know that there's been this idea that baseball, which, of course, Major League Baseball has this history of technological advancement when it comes to streaming, when it comes to producing its own broadcasts. I mean, they built the entire infrastructure of the streaming business. There's no Hulu and Netflix and all of these things without MLB Advanced Media, right? So baseball knows how to create the platform. I think that is something that they're thinking about doing. I mean, I'm not you know just coming up with that. I've seen that in 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 the reporting. And so for a team like the Cardinals, where they have for so many years, you'd read Dan Caesar in the St. Louis Post Dispatch, and you'd have an article every year. Cardinals have the highest local ratings in baseball. I haven't seen those articles in a few years. Uh, because the Cardinals have not been quite at that level. But, you know, local ratings for the St. Louis Cardinals have always been very strong. For a team like that, are they really going to be interested in moving away from the current model and experimenting, even with baseball's history of creating its own platforms? And do you really want to experiment with something new, especially since there's no national media rights deal set to rescue you? For the NBA, for all the talk, all the speculation, all the signs that maybe things are not quite as honky-dory uh, in terms of the in terms of media rights as people might have expected. I think we all still expect the NBA to get a nice a nice big payday next year. Um, baseball is three years out, and by 2028, who knows? I think the NBA might be the last one through the gates as far as getting you know a, a, a very lucrative national media rights deal, at least for the next few years. Get out to 2028. It's just long enough for things to change even more. And, and in a way that a league that's very weak nationally, or I shouldn't say very weak, but certainly a league that is not thriving nationally, that might be a difficult one. So if you don't have a big national media rights deal set to rescue you, I don't know that you want to mess around with a good thing.
1: Well, let's move on to those World Series ratings, actually. Uh, that, that's a very good segue, John, because uh, obviously I haven't had a chance to talk about this with you. But um, you had a great uh, solo episode last week kind of talking about, do the ratings actually matter? Of course, listeners of this podcast probably know by now, the first four games of the World Series were all set record lows. Uh, game five rebounded a little bit, beat the COVID bubble game five, um, but it was not much better. It fell just outside I think, of the top 10 least watched World Series games. So with that said, let's kind of return to that conversation you were having last week about do the ratings for the World Series, especially this year, considering the teams
0: actually matter? Well, it's a good question. You know, for one thing, obviously, the ratings were the best of any TV program every night except for the night that the NFL aired. Uh, Fox is not getting... Nine million viewers for anything other than other sporting events, they're not getting that for anything. Not the Masked Singer, and not whatever else it is they air in 2023. Um, so beyond that, it's also just one year. The Yankees might be in the World Series next year. You know, the Dodgers might be. The Dodgers probably should have been in a few World Series over the past few years and didn't make it. You never know the Cubs might be. They had a good finish last year. They're beginning Craig Council this season. So you can't make any judgment based on one year. Um, but I think that's different than saying the ratings don't matter. I think the ratings need to be understood in context. It's not the end of the world. Baseball's not dying. Or baseball's not dying any more than it was before. Uh, not that I think baseball's dying, but you know, I mean, I guess you could make an argument for any sport in this era that there is, you know. It's, no one is thriving, really, except for the NFL. Um, so do the ratings matter? I think they have to be put in the proper context. And I do think it says something. I do think it matters that, like I said, 20% decline from last year, not a 20% decline from 1996, right? Not a 20% decline from Cubs uh, winning in 2016 or the Red Sox in 2004, 20% decline from last year. The TV industry has changed a lot in the last few years. The TV industry has changed enough in the last few years that even a comparison to 2018 is a little shaky. Like, I I mean, the TV industry has changed so much in the last few years that you could look at an audience of 11 million viewers, pretty poor back in less than a decade ago, and you could say, that's not that bad. In fact, that's pretty good. But the industry has not changed that much in one year, right? We're talking about one year, and you're talking about a 23% decline from Phillies Astros a year ago. Anytime that you can see a 23% decline in one year, and you're not talking about some kind of historic high the prior year, it was an ordinary year, Phillies Astros. Frankly, it was on the low side. One of the, Actually, Phillies Astros was the second least watched World Series of all time. Uh, but obviously by today's standards, 11.8 million is pretty good. Uh, so it it was not some kind of historic high or anything. And if you're declining 23% in one year because it's the Rangers and Diamondbacks, well, that's kind of a problem. You shouldn't see a 23% decline just based on matchup alone. Now, Nate Silver took a lot of heat. Nate Silver takes heat for everything people love to, to, to rip on him. They get cheap clicks. Writing articles, dunking on him, and all this nonsense. Nate Silver was completely correct. He said, On paper, this looks like one of the least compelling World Series in yada, yada years. And guess what? It wasn't compelling. Game one was great. If you know, the whole series had been like game one, we were talking about a different series. But game two was a blowout. Game three was close, but not interesting. Game four, a blowout. And game five was a really strong game for the first uh, six, seven innings, you know, zero, zero. But by that point, people had lost whatever interest they'd had. And of course, game five was also the most watched of the series. So the fact that it was a good game, uh, you know, but um, maybe that helped. But it was just not a very compelling series. And that could have had something to do with it. But I definitely think that anytime time you go in one year, you're losing nearly a quarter of your audience because you have two teams that people don't know, aren't interested in, don't think are great. Well, that's on baseball to fix. And I think the ratings can bring out, you know, that which needs to be fixed. For the NBA, they were looking at their ratings go down and down and down because you had 74 to 69 and 69 to 65, and they opened the game up. Maybe a little bit too much in recent years, but they opened the game up. That was not, you know, that was a response to, among other things, the ratings, right? It was a response to people are not interested in this, or at least they're not as interested as they used to be. So I think ratings do matter in that way. That's not saying, hey, keep the Diamondbacks out, but it's hey, maybe put the Diamondbacks on TV a little more in the regular season. That might not do anything, um, you know, or you could also just look at it and say maybe we need to make sure because people seem to care about this in our sport that the teams that are the last one standing are the teams that were the best in the regular season or somewhere close to it.
1: You know, here here's the good news if you can even spin this to have any good news if you're baseball, right? It's such a localized sport and what we talked about earlier, the vast majority of the revenue comes from the local TV rights. Obviously that's a huge question mark now, but um generally speaking that's always how it's going to be with baseball. You're never going to get a bigger slice of the pie from national versus local. So, if you're able to keep local revenue, you know, at least somewhat stable, so how it is now um you're a little bit um guarded from any sort of downturn in the ratings nationally now that being said obviously you know the biggest draw for any national package is going to be the world series right that's kind of what the networks are going to be paying for so if the world series is declining double digit percentage year over year from a very average matchup last year you know as you said second lowest rated uh world series of all time just ahead of the COVID year that's not good right you know your main you know your your crown jewel for lack of a better term that that's what the networks are paying for and they're not mm-hmm. getting their full value from that so uh it's a mixed bag right because you're never you're never going to get a lot from that national deal for your baseball but you You know, you're not helping yourself by uh, by not having good uh, national numbers, especially for the World Series.
0: Make a good point. I would say, really, they're paying for the inventory. I mean, because remember, seven games. It's seven games, and you can't even know who's going to be in, so you never know if it's going to be a great year or not. I think they're paying for the ability to have games all year long, especially on FS1. uh, Even though, of course, they don't even send people to cover them in person, but. You know, look, I, I do think if you had asked me, even in 2019, if you had said, hey, what's World Series rating going to be in four years? I would never have thought 4.7. I mean, not in four years, maybe by 2030. 4.7 for a World Series? Because at least in, in, in 2020, COVID was the ultimate excuse. We already have a World Series below the COVID year. So I think, you know, look, when, when all is said and done. It gets back to the question: but the numbers matter? Does it matter that the World Series had a 4.7 rating and 9.1 million viewers? Does it matter? No, it doesn't matter in terms of that by itself. Does it matter that the World Series declined 23% in a year, and there is no real reason for it other than it was Texas and Arizona? Yeah, that matters. Does it matter that you can go back, you know, to the COVID year and see better numbers in the COVID year? I, I think that does matter. I think the fact that we're already this quickly. Already, a COVID era finals is not the least watched all time. A COVID era championship, the COVID era championships should be in a in a room by themselves, locked off from everybody else. And already, we have a World Series that that makes that Dodgers race series look pretty good, you know. Um, so I, I think that matters. Yeah, I I think it matters that we're already below COVID levels in terms of viewing.
1: Fair to say that. Um it matters less for baseball specifically than it does for any other major professional
0: sports league no because I think you know I, I think ultimately even though baseball is less dependent on national television rights it doesn't necessarily have to be I think you know if you're baseball wouldn't you like to have a nice big national TV deal wouldn't that be nice And you go back to the days when baseball would send everybody else running because you had 40 million for, well, maybe not 40 million, but you know, 28, 30 million for Yankees, Red Sox. And, you know, those are, were days when you could get probably a, a better TV deal than baseball's had lately. You know, look, there's less baseball on ESPN than ever. There might not be baseball on ESPN after uh, 2025 based on this opt-out that Andrew Marchand reported on the other day. You know, the the TV contracts right now nationally, they're not great. You get one night a week on TBS. It's not even exclusive. So sometimes you'll tune in because your team's on. You can't watch them. You get the, the Fox game of the week like you've always gotten since forever. But, uh, you know, there was a time in the early 2000s where every single night there was a baseball playoff game on over-the-air broadcast TV. Every night. And then in the division series, excuse me, then in the league championship series, every game was on over the air broadcast TV. This is another reason the ratings matter because we talk about reach versus revenue, right? Well, the greater your reach, the less you have to sacrifice reach for revenue. And as ratings go down, then the places where you're going to be able to maximize your revenue are the ones that need you, not necessarily for the size of your audience but for your ability to grow their audience, right? We have a whole bunch of ESPN2s out there. Remember when ESPN2 came out and they put the Duke North Carolina game on there? Of course, you don't remember because you probably weren't born yet, right? But that's the logic that we've seen. We're going to put you know, all of these Cup Series races on FS1 and NBCSN. NBCSN doesn't even exist anymore. But you know, those Cup Series races are still on cable. They're just on USA Network now, but they're, they're not back on over-the-year broadcast TV. Because the more you sacrifice reach for revenue, you're going to be able to only get TV money by sacrificing more reach. That's the way it's a it's a spiral.
1: You're right. I mean, the NFL really is that the only league that has kind of reached that economies of scale, so to speak, where they they have grown more because of their reach.
0: Well, you know, the NFL so rarely sacrifices reach. That's why it was so weird this weekend when you had two six, and 2 teams playing on the NFL network at 9.30 in the morning. It goes so completely against the NFL strategy on TV. The NFL gives you the best game in the biggest windows on over the year broadcast TV. This is a game that probably could have gotten maybe 25, well, not maybe, definitely 25, 26, 27 million viewers at 425. 22, 23, 24 million in prime time at NBC. Instead, 9.1 million on NFL Network, one of the least watched windows of the entire year. And the reality is that's still great. It's a tremendous number, 9.30 a.m., 9.2 million viewers. But remember, they sacrificed upwards of 14 to 15 million viewers. They shrunk the audience by more than half to put this game on in Frankfurt at 9.30 a.m. on the NFL Network. That's something Adam Silver or Rob Manfred would do. That's not something the NFL does. The NFL, very oddly, and I understand, because the NFL has reached a point where they can do this for a game or two, right? But it's it's very much not in keeping with their strategy.
1: You're right. I mean, pretty much every time we've seen a you know, London series game or these Germany games, it's you know a matchup like you know, the Browns versus the Cardinals, mm-hmm. right? It's something that would not rate, would go to 8% of the country or something during the Sunday 1 p.m. window. And now, oh, we're going to put it at 9.30. We're going to get 5 million viewers for it. We're actually increasing our reach that way because no one was going to watch this game anyway. Right. Uh, but you're right. For the first time, this is actually a marquee matchup, a matchup that would have m- more than doubled its viewership had it been in a normal window. I mean. This was by far the best game of the week, right? Like, no questions oh, asked, at least on paper.
0: On paper, because Cowboys, Eagles. I mean, remember yeah. the NFL had such a stacked lineup. They still had Cowboys, Eagles in that 425 spot. Yeah. And they still had Bills, Bengals in prime time.
1: True, true. All right. So, Cowboys, Eagles, you know, arguably a bigger game. But in, in terms of, you know, marquee matchups this season, in the AFC especially, this is one of the matchups everyone wanted to see. Um, you're playing at 930, you know, even the most hardcore fans, some of them, you know, they're not going to be able to watch the game at 930. People are out doing things Sunday morning so they can go watch football all day the rest of the day. Right. They're getting their errands done. So um it, it was, you know, kind of a bucking of the trend for the NFL by doing this. I don't anticipate maybe they didn't anticipate going in that this would be such a huge matchup. Um They would have all- to. Yeah, they, you're right. They would have had to, but it's certainly you know the the Dolphins were more of a question mark than the Chiefs. But you know, putting the Chiefs uh, over in Frankfurt, Germany, you're you're risking a you know actually putting a a good game over there. Uh, you know, just knowing Patrick Mahomes is 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 going overseas.
0: Well, it's Mahomes. It's Chua. It's Tyree Kill and his history with Kansas City. Even if they weren't both six and two, that's a high quality matchup. Yeah. You think about what they've got this week. Uh, Jets Raiders, they've got you know, uh, in in the 425 window, they do have the Cowboys, but the Giants are playing them. And the Giants, you know, obviously with the injury now to Daniel Jones, they're even more uh, in in a struggle than they've been. And uh, then the Broncos are on Monday night football, which is really unfortunate. I don't know why they put the Broncos there. So it's not a strong week of games coming up here. And of course, you know, maybe Dolphins Chiefs would have been nice for week 10 and not week nine, right? I mean, Because, again, anyone could have told you Cowboys, Eagles, Bills, Bengals, Dolphins, Chiefs, they were all going to be good. Maybe you don't put them all in the same week. Right. That's maybe stacking it a little bit too much uh, if you're the NFL.
1: Yeah. And it kind of um, goes to more of the macro strategy of the NFL scheduling. Right. Um, Mm. We know in recent years that they've tried to front load some of their good games uh, to really build momentum for the season uh, right off the bat. I wonder if they kind of pick out, you know, a week or two in the middle of the season. They they kind of want to see a spike weeks, right? Games that, that are going to really move the needle, um, maybe after a two or three week wall where there's maybe only one or two kind of marquee matchups. Uh, this could have been one of those weeks. Obviously, I'm not sure what the NFL's um strategy is when it comes to scheduling, uh, on that level at least. But um it seems, you know reasonable that they would maybe want to stack one or two weeks throughout the year to try to uh you know maintain that momentum
0: yeah and I, you know i forgot uh speaking of stacking they stacked the bad matchups uh all over the national windows this week panthers beers gets it started on yeah wednesday night uh yeah that's why if,
1: if you ever wanted to pick a week to tune out of the nfl this uh this would definitely be the week
0: yeah yeah And uh, it's not like there's any NBA, really. The NBA is abandoned Thursday nights. The World Series is over. Boy, and there's nothing else on TV. There's no friends and uh, friends and what? uh, Inside Schwartz, Will & Grace, and Just Shoot Me? Boy, it'd be nice to have that back this week. Uh, We don't have that. Uh, But yeah, that's going to be interesting. One thing to note, we're taping Tuesday evening. There's no ratings, so I can't tell you what Cowboys Eagles did. There's been a Nielsen delay. Those numbers should be out right around the time the podcast is out Wednesday morning. All right. Well, that'll do it for us this week. I do uh, want to welcome Drew back. Drew, you were off for a couple of weeks on on vacation. And, and how was that for you?
1: Uh, you know, it, it, was, uh, it was quite a fun, exhausting, uh, very worthwhile trip. It um, will hit you know, four different cities over in Europe. Even got to watch a little bit of n f l red Zone in a bar uh in Istanbul, so you know the n f l is is spreading globally. I did not expect to find um, a bar showing American football in Turkey uh but you know my n f l addiction shows no limits. We found the bar uh enjoyed one maybe two beers uh during our time during our four or five hours there and uh and really had a, had a great time uh, ingratiating ourselves in the local culture.
0: Yeah, wow. It uh, sounds like a fun time. I did some traveling of my own. Uh, you went to Europe. I went to Chicago. Uh, and for me, uh, this was a two and a half hour trip and two and a half hours up, two and a half hours back on the Amtrak. And I'll tell you, it was definitely more exhausting than whatever number of hours you spent in flight. Uh, I'd never been on an Amtrak before, and I didn't realize that Amtrak was uh, basically not great. I didn't realize that. Oh my God,
1: John, no, you can't be doing this to me. You know, as as a Northeast Corridor born and bred human here, the, the Amtrak is my preferred method of really? transportation. Yeah, if I'm going to Baltimore, New York, Philly, Boston, I'm taking Amtrak. Well, maybe not Boston. I might be They're... flying to Boston. but.
0: Yeah. They're giving I, they're giving the better trains to the Acela corridor, I'm quite oh,
1: sure. hundred percent. The Acela is mm-hmm. is fantastic.
0: Yeah, they're not giving you the good trains. They're giving you the World War II, you know, era, uh the 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 the, the no not they're giving you the World War One era trains, okay? They're giving you the trains that uh that were that 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 took Taft to his uh you know debates or whatever in, in the nineteen 19- Twelve election okay uh these these were rough um and i'll tell you it was it was it it was headache inducing this this uh, this amtrak experience uh
1: i i can relate to the uh the headache inducing travel experience my uh my flight between dc and istanbul was about 10 hours um in the air and i i will say on that on that flight over the person in front of me was reclined for all mm-hmm. 10 hours even when the flight attendants came by and they said sir you got to you got to you know put your seat up for for yeah. t- take off and landing he he did not listen so yeah. i was really enjoying myself on that uh, on that first leg wow. of the flight there.
0: <laughs> i can't even imagine a 10 hour flight uh, i just can't even imagine i never want to do it again let's just say uh, that you know there's something to be said for just being home and uh just st- sticking where you're comfortable yeah and you know, have having
1: their... two tvs and watching uh, multiple games yeah. at once you know maybe maybe that's why we're into this john you know yeah, we're, we're just built to you know sit on the couch
0: well another week down starting next week we're going to have some guests so next week we have the great dave Pash of espn he'll be here we'll talk a little bit about his role on college basketball, the NBA, and of course he's so known for being Bill Walton's partner now, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about Bill Walton week after that we have alex faust uh, who now has added a role at msg network we'll talk to him and uh, then the week after thanksgiving on the 29th we've got brian curtis of the ringer and uh, there's more hopefully where that came from so stay tuned it's um, november sweeps we have a whole bunch of uh, special guest stars that'll do it for another week on the sports media watch podcast like i said we've got a bunch of guests coming up the next few weeks we'll be talking with them and talking about more sports media news in the meantime thanks for listening